Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. Welcome to episode 113 of 1% Better. This one is with a lady called Charlotte Underwood. She's from the UK. She's a mental health advocate and blogger. I connected in with her through the power of social media. I noticed some of her tweets. She's a survivor of suicide, alcoholism, sexual assault, rape, self-harm, and other trauma and mental illness. And this is obviously a tough conversation to have, but I hope it comes out in a positive way, in a way that you can connect in with, that you can take something from. And maybe even if you can, or if you know somebody suffering or having challenges of their own, it might be one that you could share with them as well. One that they could take something from. I'm going straight into it this week, trying to keep the intros a little bit shorter. I will say last week's episode, 112, all about confidence, my own relationship with it, learnings, how to build it, how to make mistakes and improve on the confidence scale is been well received so check that one out and hopefully if you do enjoy it let me know that's also in blog format and as always please do share any of this content with your friends your relatives your family let me know how it's going get in touch drop me an email and i'd love to hear from you it is all very much taken on board and one of those is keeping these intros a little bit shorter and i'm trying to do that so I'll hand it over to the episode with Charlotte Underwood. Please enjoy and have a great week. Thanks so much. Good luck. Hey, folks. Welcome to another episode of the 1% Better podcast. And tonight, it's tonight when I'm recording. I'm not sure it's tonight when you're listening. But in this one, I am delighted to introduce Charlotte Underwood. So, Charlotte, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So give yourself an introduction, Charlotte. Tell us who you are, what you're about, uh, and a bit about yourself. I think I'm just someone who dedicates a lot, and I mean a lot of their time, to talking about mental health, um, usually through writing, but I like to try to start conversations around the topic and provide some support for people who need it, I guess. Where did it all start? When did you start diving into writing about mental health what provoked it a few years ago I was 18 so five years ago now I lost my dad and I suddenly realized that mental health doesn't just affect me because I lived in this world where I thought I was the only one that could feel this pain because my mental health understanding was very limited it wasn't talked about in my family so my dad died I realized there was this whole bigger world and a lot of people like me also needed support. I went through about three years of grieving before I started writing. And I just, I needed something to keep me occupied. And I needed an outlet. And I just sort of, I just started writing. And eventually I ended up talking about my dad and then myself. And it all just sort of flowed from there. Okay. Well, look, sorry to hear about the loss of your of your dad at that age. It's, you know, it's a young age and it's never easy. I can totally empathize with that. When you look back to your early life or when you're even younger than 18, that's still early. But what you know about yourself now, when you were younger, did you have a 
healthy mind mental health was that something that was strong for you or was there challenges even in a young age it didn't really exist in my family and in my world I guess I lived in a world where without me knowing it there was very conservative views in the sense that you just got on with it there wasn't time for emotions so when I started showing signs of quite bad anxiety and depression I was just seen as a teenager, I was seen as a hypochondriac, which is a word I hate to this day, drama queen, hormonal, all those things. Mm-hmm. And I guess because of that, I sort of self-stigmatized as well. So I coped by drinking and other things, and I just really didn't understand what was going on. And I guess I just did teenager things with quote brackets because I had no other way to cope. I just lashed out on myself. They're probably normal enough things, though, relatively normal. A lot of teenagers go through, and I've yet to probably talk to a teenager that knows themselves very well. You know, you have to kind of go through certain challenges and experiences to kind of figure things out. So what you were going through outside the norm, do you think, now looking back? Definitely. um, I went through a lot of... um mental and physical abuse and I ended up in situations which I wouldn't wish on any other girl or boy at that age or any age I definitely drew a shorter straw in life is the best way to describe it and I was forced into some very serious situations when I should have been able to just focus on my education okay sounds some some tough challenges there so it was true suicide your dad took his own life right so do you want to maybe talk a little bit about was there signs when you look back as to something was wrong or or can you talk maybe a bit about that whole episode looking back there are definitely signs at the time I didn't see it because I was suicidal myself but there was no way in my mind that I could ever believe that my darling daddy who I love with all my heart and who was this put together successful idol of mine could ever feel that immense pain that I did so I guess I wanted to believe that he was invincible so I missed a lot of signs but looking back I remember him telling me the Christmas before which was a month before I went missing that it would be the last Christmas like that and he spent more money than we had which was I just saw it as oh maybe he's just getting less pay next year I remember a week before He passed saying, coming into my room, sitting in front of me and just saying, you know, Charlotte, you're the only person in the world that understands me. And that's strange coming from a 49-year-old man to his 18-year-old daughter. But I I just didn't question it because I I didn't ever want to imagine that my dad was in that pain. When you were going through your own stuff, were were you very open with him about some of the challenges you were experiencing as well was that why he kind of felt that you understood him so well yeah I did try to talk to him about things but usually he had to confront me gently and he was very good when he did but I guess I struggled to talk about it because I didn't want to disappoint him and I felt that my drinking and myself harming I felt like that would make him hate me a little bit so I internalized a lot of it But I guess on the flip side, it did help me after his death to understand that what he did was not out of spite and it wasn't something that can be seen as him being selfish or 
inconsiderate. He was just in a lot of pain, and I empathise with him a lot because of it. And do you know now, did he ever seek help for what he was going through, and if he had anyone to talk to about that? Yeah, we didn't know much until his inquest, and he had on and off sought help since 96, but he self-stigmatised a lot, so he was very... He would say that he was feeling down, but he struggled to accept extra support. And I think he had this mindset where he wanted to do it all by himself. He didn't need an extra person to talk to. He didn't need medication. And I think he just did believe that he could do it himself. Um, And the only time that he really pushed for help was before he passed away, but there was an error of paperwork and he didn't get the help he needed, which was very sad with all the timing. Okay, terrible. Obviously, from what you know now as well and shining more of a light on mental health over the last few years, speaking from a guy's perspective, men typically are seen to bottle it up a lot more and just get on with things and um, ignore it or, as you said, try to solve the problem yourself without seeking help so I would imagine if he was struggling from, you know, the late 90s or so with it and the conversation probably wasn't really starting around then at all. So I can understand, but also probably not really understand at all, you know. So look, sorry to hear that. It's tough, I know, for you to talk about it. You spent the next three years grieving. Maybe talk to me about what that was like and what type of grieving, what did you go through? I went through more emotions than I knew I had. It's very up and down and people don't tell you that the stages of grief don't come in one order. They can be all over the place and you can go back and forth. It's not a smooth journey. I don't think it is for anyone. I originally tried to end my life and that was my first thing. I went back to reckless behaviour but I also spent a long time refusing to allow myself to grieve because I wanted to look after everyone else and give them the chance. It wasn't until the three years passed where I was going on these really weird highs and lows where I said, Charlotte, you've got to talk about this. You've got to let yourself grieve and you're allowed to do this. And that's when I started really looking after myself because I think for the most part, I had allowed myself to die with my dad. So I was living, I call it sort of, it's like being in the driver's seat of a car and you've got absolutely no control about where you're going or what you're doing. And it's very automated. So nothing really felt very real. And I was just doing anything to feel alive, but nothing can ever replace that person. And it took three years to realise that. When you said you tried to take your own life as well, I've talked to a couple of folks on the podcast over the last two years about suicide and similar scenarios where they've attempted and it didn't obviously come to pass, but they saw it as maybe a turning point. What maybe around the time you tried, what happened? And do you remember the events before? Do you remember what was it like straight after? Did you feel it a different way afterwards? Yeah, I mean, the night at here, I did have a conscience and I knew that I wasn't ready to give up on my life but I didn't feel like I wanted a life because I was just replaying the words from the gentleman who led my father's funeral and he said 
well, one day we'll see Stephen again. And I was, I didn't want to leave it up to fate to tell me when I could see my dad again. And I just wanted to speed up that process. I did try to talk to people and call them before, but it was the middle of the night. Everyone was asleep. And I said, right, that's the universe. I've got to die. I remember being in the hospital. I had a very bad experience with the doctor asking me if I tried to die over a boy and trying to compare the loss of his dad to my dad. And I remember thinking, if I ever do this again, I'm going to succeed because I felt so terrified over that experience. And then I came home and I had a friend, he's like my best friend at the time, and he stayed with me just all day and he just he helped me drink like strawberry milkshake and you know be able to function and it did give me a chance to realize that people still care but it did open my eyes as to how much stigma people like me and my dad and many other thousands of people across the world go through and that's still today that memory fuels my passion as to trying to lower that stigma very good so as you kind of came out of the grief you mentioned writing became an outlet how did you stumble across that as a as a way of expressing yourself and maybe starting to feel better and you know i suppose get your voice out there how did that come about as a child (laughs) even though in my 20s as a child i wasn't allowed a tv or a computer so i had to find other means and i used to love writing as a kid I was obsessed with books and I wanted to create my own. I wanted to create songs as well. But as I got older and you go through school and everyone tells you writing's lame and English is the worst, you almost get bullied because you enjoy writing, which nowadays it makes me laugh a little bit. So I stopped. And when I was thinking of something to help me, I just really delved into What did I do before my depression? What made me feel good before I lost my, I guess, not ability, but along those lines, my my ability to enjoy things. And writing was the only thing that stood out. And I just spent the next month doing a little bit of writing each day. And eventually it was whole blog posts and things like that. And once I got into it, I couldn't stop. It's definitely... It was addictive once you get into the habit and start forming, you're getting your thoughts out on paper. Absolutely helps. Did you just stumble into it? Was it something you had any um, guidance with or, or did you just start literally putting pen to paper and seeing what came out? You know, what was your, your process for that? I, I always find it funny when I see people that say that the best way to write is by making notes and plans beforehand. And for me, I just literally vomit onto the paper. Um, I just really allow myself to, I guess, regurgitate any thought that's in my mind because I feel that way I can go back through it and start to try to come to terms with and understand or even organise what's going on because when you see it in front of you on paper, it really isn't as confusing or scary and it just feels a lot, I feel like I'm being more honest with myself if I refuse to filter it. And typically, like looking through your list of blog posts on your site, and I know you've done a lot of writing for different other sites as well. When you started doing it, would you say, right, today, this is what I'm feeling. I'm going to write for 
X amount of time and then publish it? Like, have you developed your own way of getting from the starting point to a point where you say, right, I think now I've got clarity on this and I can share it. I'm interested just to know how, how that's evolved. I said for me, it is very whatever's in my head. So you only really spend about 30 minutes really putting your writing together. In truth, I can spend months because I'll wake up at 2am one night and I'll have to write out this long paragraph or I'll be doing something so random and I'll have this idea of a title of a topic that's important to me. Um, Or sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll just flow through one piece and I'll be like, oh, wait, this ties into this and I'll do another piece. And it takes me a long time to really make them presentable because I really just go with what my mind tells me. And I feel that way. It's created this relatable narrative, I think. And I think that's why people do read my work because it's very what's on paper for me is exactly what's in my head at a moment in time i know when i write blog posts as well i try never really i read obviously other blog posts but not to write it in anyone else's voice other than your own even if you don't know how that'll be received or not are you very much in that same vein that you're just writing when you look back you know that's authentic and it's real and it's it's completely yours it definitely took me a long time to figure out my own narrative. Oh, my voice is going. No, because I'm the kind of person who gets very influenced by, if I'm listening to an audiobook, I'll mm. get influenced by their narrative and I'll pick up on that or mm. if I've spent too much time around a certain friend. So I actually spent a good year writing anonymous blog posts before I released my ones I have up now, okay. figuring out, how I want to write in my own voice. And it's only in the last six months that I felt confident in the way I write and how I write and that this really is my voice now. But I think it takes a very long time to figure out what your narrative is. And that's okay because we're constantly developing, aren't we? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And probably in six months time, you'll think then, now I figured it out and you forget, you know, you think you've figured it out now. It's it's constantly figuring it out. I would absolutely agree on that. Of all the posts you've uh, put together, again, looking through some of the titles, you're, you talk about avoiding therapy for years and then getting help and grieving in a healthy way. Is there any ones that stand out for you the most that you feel have had the, the most impact for yourself and maybe the most response from others? I have two posts that have really resonated with other people because they've they've had the most attention. Sorry, three. One was about, it's called The Adult Who Can't Make Friends. And it's about that insecurity that you have as an adult where you're not quite sure how you talk to people. You're not sure how to maintain friendships. And it can be isolating because you really want to go up to someone and say, hi, let's be friends. But you've got this anxiety and self-doubt which gives you too many possible outcomes that it's easier to stay silent that was a very popular one and I still get a few comments today I had one about you know not being able to drive because society tells us you hit is it 17 I think and you have to drive because everyone can do it but I've struggled and I've had four attempts with four different instructors since I was 17 and I just I know I'm going to do it one day. I've not 
counted it out, but I'm a very nervous person and it took me a long time to realise driving is one of these things that's not for everyone and it's not technically natural for humans, so it's okay that I'm taking a long time. Mm. That's one that I get hits on every day. People obviously searching it on Google, so I'm not alone. And the last one was about terminology with suicide because you get the phrase committed and it was just about why I don't say that my dad committed suicide because that's something that's I've used in the last two years because originally it was a term that I only understood and I didn't understand the harm of it but when I did it hit me and I was like yeah I'm never using that phrase again just picking up on the driving one <laughs> I've actually failed my test three times when I was younger as well so it can take people some time to get there so you know stick with it I'm I'm sure you'll get there in the end so as you were writing the uh, the blogs I would imagine you can tell me but the book then that you've put together kind of just evolved from that a lot of people I talked to said they'd like to write a book but they never maybe saw it coming and then it just kind of developed so maybe talk to me about how that came to be and and you know the reaction to that uh the book I did before my blog actually oh, okay. um, that was the main thing that got me into talking because obviously I started writing little bits each day and I tried to write a few different books because for some of us the idea of getting a book published is really kind of cool and I wanted that as a kid so I thought I'm sure I can achieve that at some point took me three attempts or so before I realized I wasn't resonating with my own work and then I thought about my dad and I was like this actually matters to me so I thought I'm just going to write about how I viewed his suicide and my recovery I made it very clear that it's my own perception because that's important to know but no I had a lot of people thankful that I wrote it like it's probably terribly written I am no means someone that's good at English or writing I'm it's not my skill talent but people seem to resonate and it seemed to give them hope and a lot of people saying that it helped them carry on in their life which filled me with more joy than I can imagine and it helped a lot of people in my position who felt so alone because there's there's no support for people who have been bereaved really in the UK so I just wanted something that anyone could access and from there I made a website for the book and the it just became my blog Mm -hmm. um so it spiraled from that way actually rather than blog than book okay all right sorry I didn't thought of it the other way around and I know you had said if you could save one person from putting it out there that would be all more than worthwhile doing it so you've had people reach out and say that's been the case so that must have and probably continues to make you feel good about it there is nothing I can do to bring my dad back but the idea that I've helped keep some other daughters across the world helped them keep their dads and I've helped the other daughters out there come to terms with their dad's death that is the best positive that I could ever make from the negative of my father's death and that's how I view it that's definitely a good approach to take you know take positives out of something so difficult but I think that's definitely the best way you can probably um, look at it what would you say where you are at right now? Again, looking at some of your blogs, it seems like you're in a 
in a good place and you have a partner you're married now as well and maybe just talk to me about who is charlotte underwood now and what your identity is like now honestly most days i still feel like the same girl i was at 14 i just think i'm much better at vocalizing every day i'm still pushing myself and learning about my feelings learning about mental health learning about other people's mental health I'm never going to have perfect mental health and I've realised that I'm still pushing for the support I need myself but I'm allowing myself to accept myself I'm allowing myself to be loved I'm allowing myself support from people I love which is very hard for me Mm. so I wouldn't say that I'm improved or better but I'm developing still and at a a place where I feel hopeful for the future at least. That sounds good hopeful and hope is the best thing you can have. Outside of writing do you have other mechanisms or approaches to deal with the challenges the depression anxiety what else keeps you in a positive place? I think most of all, it's my dog. These dogs are absolutely amazing creatures. And I'm definitely a self-proclaimed dog mum. So when I feel sad and I can cuddle her, that's that's a feeling that does make me feel more hopeful and happy. I'm trying to get outside more because I get quite agoraphobic. But I'm starting to enjoy taking walks and getting a bit of fresh air. And something someone told me was about taking in the moment. So I will look very silly because I'll just be in the park on a sunny day and I'll just stand there for a minute I'll with my eyes closed just so I can feel the sun and the warmth. And it's a wonderful feeling just to learn to stop and take a moment. And that's been a huge help in the last year that I've learned to do. It grounds you quite a lot. Yeah, I think uh, when you just take a breath and be aware of what's all around you, it's probably something we don't do enough of, but... um it absolutely is um, enjoyable, to say the least. Now, being a mental health advocate, I suppose, that's the right term. More could be done in the way of helping others. Um, where do you see gaps are? What support could be improved? Just interested to hear your thoughts on how that is, especially I'm in Ireland, in England, so maybe things are probably similar. But what's your what's your views on that? I think there's the obvious ones, stupidly long waiting times, which isn't appropriate. I've just had to wait, I want to say, just over two months for an appointment. But that's because they knew me when originally they made me wait in over a year. (laughs) I know other people who are waiting well over a year, two years for help. So that needs to change. I know at some point we're getting some sort of mental health in schools, but Again, this might not be implemented until up till 10 years, which isn't helping. But from my own perspective, I think we're still using language that is harmful. We're not really listening to people. We're still taking labels at face value and not looking past them. And we're also not talking about the differences in mental health. There's a lot of People who believe on the textbook mental health, which we all know that my anxiety and your anxiety is going to be completely different, but it doesn't mean that mine or yours is less valid, or even that anxiety, depression, OCD and eating disorders are the only illnesses out there. We don't talk about borderline personality disorder and 
other illnesses which are really chronic to people's lives. So a lot of discussion is needed still. More and more conversation definitely needed. Before we started, I put a just a, a tweet out to say we were recording and see if any questions come in. So I've just got a question in, believe it or not. Uh, it came in from Daisy Coldwater for on Twitter. Who does Charlotte admire most and, and why? That's something you could answer. Well, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, I'd definitely be lying if I didn't say that I admired my dad a lot. In my view, he lived till 49, but with most of that, he obviously dealt with a lot of mental health and he still had three kids. He still went from poverty to not riches, but a comfortable life. And he became a prison officer that was in the top 10% of them in the UK. So he was very renowned in his career. The fact that he didn't let himself be limited by the way he was feeling, that's very inspirational for me, even if it is a little bit biased. It's your truth. So, you know, that's okay. Uh, Absolutely. Have you had others influence you or support you over the last few years that that stand out and and I suppose what have they done to to help you improve definitely when my dad died I actually became closer with a girl I knew and we've been through some hard times together but for some reason despite never being best friends we've always been there and we're now at a place where we literally call each other sisters because we don't have to talk every day but if either of us ever needs anything we are each other's person to just talk to and she's just the one person that I can be completely 100% honest about how I'm feeling and know that there's she's not going to judge me so having a completely unbiased person to talk to who can really listen that's helped me a lot but obviously there are a few people that I have online as well that fill me with a lot of joy every day just because they they pick me up every time like I need to quit this advocacy because no one cares and I have days like that a lot and there are people that will just be like Charlotte you're amazing and it helps a lot to know that I'm not doing something for nothing if that makes sense. Oh it does I suppose not to kind of draw comparison but a little bit and and I think as long as what you're doing undoubtedly is helping others but by doing it it's helping yourself that should be probably the most important piece as well that should keep you going you know so my only way I would say is how I learn and how I grow is by doing this sort of activity and doing podcasting and even if nobody's listening to it I'm selfishly getting something from it and, and that's good enough to keep it going so that's where I would see a little bit of a comparison that by writing by expressing your feelings doing that should always be enough to keep you focused and if others pick up on that and connect to it that's you know that's a bonus for sure so definitely 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 keep it going I'm just interested in you know how you keep yourself maybe motivated do you set goals for yourself do you have targets that you would say I'm going to write a couple of blogs this week or I think when you have a focus I kind of do coaching in my day job a bit as well and help you know life coaching professional coaching but focus is one thing that I think as long as people have some focus it'll keep them on the the straight and narrow maybe but do you set goals how do you approach motivating yourself 
I think my problem is that I am extremely compulsive so I can get obsessed with things that need to be done if you gave me a list of 20 things to do over the span of two weeks I would do them all in the next two hours otherwise I'll be very uncomfortable (laughs) I know that feeling yeah I've been learning to be more intuitive with that and sort of assess the night before assess the morning what do I feel needs to be done and what can I handle and I like to do things like I'll aim to obviously walk the dog I'll aim to do a little bit of exercise just because I've been enjoying that recently and check through my mailbox but I'll I try not to overwhelm myself but on the days where I've got those big highs I can be sending out lots of emails writing a dozen blog posts I have goals that I set way in the future, so a year, two years, but I avoid putting loads of pressure on myself because I will get burned out because I do tend to, I do tend to overdo it. Okay, well, it's good to hear there's there's balance and you're aware, your self-awareness sounds to be quite high and, and that's important, I think, when you're managing yourself and uh, regulating yourself, self-awareness is important. Charlotte, look, we're coming up to the 40 minutes. Just one, maybe one last one. We talked about writing a lot and we talked about your book and I'll get you to call out how folks can get in touch with that. Is there other books that you read that stand out that have helped you improve in whatever way, you know, emotionally or or how you write? I'm always keen to share a couple of recommendations. So anything come to mind? Yeah, my favorite book that I I guess I oversell a lot is by Darren Brown and it's happy because Mm. he does remind you that life just it's not one straight line and sometimes things aren't as great as they seem and he really opened my eyes and helped me put some things in perspective a bit like a a friend telling you that harsh truth that you need to hear Mm -hmm. it helped a lot yeah yeah Darren Darren Brown is great Um, so I have a lot of time for him and the work he does so that's a good call out i've never heard that one recommended before so that'll go on to uh, the book page on the site so speaking of websites and books talk to me just how folks can check you out online and potentially get a copy of your book and uh, learn more about you yeah the best thing they can do is go on my website which is charlotteunderwoodauthor.com and there will be a link to my book on there, which they can download for free to any advice, to any advice, to any device. Right. Okay. Very good. I will definitely include all of that in links in the notes with the episode. So look, Charlotte, it was great to talk to you. I, I know it was tough to talk about some of that stuff, but I think you write about it and it's good to talk about it. It's good to share it out there. Hopefully, you know, folks that uh, haven't heard about it, you before will will now go and check you out and download your book and you know hopefully have an impact on people that uh, that listen hopefully that's the only thing that really matters i think exactly exactly so charlotte look i'll let you get back to it there thanks so much for taking out an hour or so tonight and i look forward to sharing this with the listeners and we'll be in touch yeah thank you for having me thanks charlotte Hey guys, just before you go, I'd love to hear from you if anything specific stood out from that episode 
something you might take away and try and implement in your own personal or professional life to help make you that little bit better on the other side is there anything you think i could do better to make the show even more enjoyable more impactful and maybe meaningful so drop me a note rob at rob of the or connect in on any of the social platforms at rob of the green we also have a community on facebook check that out if you're really enjoying the show maybe you could try and leave a rating or a review on itunes apple Podcasts app go in there give us a rating let us know how we're doing that'll help with the ranking of the podcast up those charts the more folks that potentially see it because we're high up the better the more that might listen that never heard of it before and the goal of the show is to try and reach more and more people and have that impact more and more so that's down to you please do help me with that I'm not going down the route of hiring podcast promoters, quote unquote, from other parts of the world because they say they can help with the ranking and I don't really believe them or it's not very authentic. Help me do it in an authentic way. I'd really appreciate it. This year, I'm going more all in on Patreon. So it's three bucks a month. You can sign up, subscribe to Rob of the Green on Patreon.com. That will give you access to Patreon only content. Nearly all the episodes of the 864 podcast are on there and new ones will be added only there. The 1% Better Show will have early releases there, but will still come out for free on robofthegreen.ie. There'll also be live shows this year, some phone-in shows, extra content. Three euros a month will hopefully, the more folks that subscribe, allow me to do more and more stuff on there, add more and more content. At the end of the day, that's the price of a pair of socks, maybe, that you might lose, or a coffee. One way or the other, it's up to you. If you want to join, you'll still get free stuff otherwise but if you're enjoying what we're doing help us grow help us expand it i'd really appreciate that adding new stuff onto the website all the time there's an affiliates page under the be better drop down check in there there's training courses that you can sign up to more and more stuff will come in over time into season three now of this fun fun journey huge learning hopefully you're getting something from it too stick with it let's keep going enjoy the journey even more have a great day week weekend and thanks for checking it out good luck